0: And this game is underway with a bang.
1: This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796 2558. Now, here's Grant Bills.
0: It might be the weather. It might just be the weather, I'll admit, because this weather does suck. Literally, and blows. Literally, it's incredibly cold and windy outside, and I hate it. It might just be the weather. Don't get me wrong, but I am so looking forward to this upcoming Brewers season, and it's all I've been thinking about recently. Because when it's this cold, when it's this snowy, and when it's this crummy outside, and it is literally to the point where you almost cannot go outside, I found myself just laying on my couch with a space heater blowing on me, watching 2018 Brewers highlights. I can't, I can't. Come on, I can't be the only one watching highlights. Of the postseason run and of game 163 against the Cubs. Like, I can't be the only one who's getting caught up in this, right? I want to talk a little Brewers today. This is the offseason, more so in my lifetime than any other, where the Brewers have been hyped up, where there is excitement. And last year, don't get me wrong, there was a lot... You bring in Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain, uh, expectations go up. You know, excitement goes up. This year, it feels even more magnified. And yesterday, we didn't really get a chance to talk about uh, the event over the weekend, which was Brewers on Deck down in Milwaukee. And I, I want a, a couple topics, a couple of news stories, not, not obviously breaking news, like franchise changing acquisitions or, or staff changes like a, a, a manager or a pitching or a hitting coach, but, but smaller headlines that are very interesting in and of themselves. So I want to dig into that. Uh, there, there's a lot of buzz around this Brewers offseason, so we're going to continue that discussion. Packers free agents, 2B. There are a lot of them, and I want to talk about that as well at 530. We get to play GM a little bit. Everybody loves to play GM, more so, I think, than armchair quarterback. Who would you let walk? Who would you bring back, and for what price? Things like that. I want to play a little bit of armchair GM, and then at the end, uh, I, I, we, I do want to talk about one UW athlete in specific, in particular, who has... Been insane the last two weeks, and pretty quietly, he hasn't really gotten the recognition, so I I do want to talk about that. If yesterday's show, I said yesterday's show was like Old Country Buffet, right, where we're just getting a little bit of a nibble of everything. We're not digging too deep into the Brewers or the Packers or UWL, we're just taking a sample of everything as we move along the Wisco Sports Show. Well, today, it would be more like a a three-course meal, like a surf and turf. We're going to get a big bite of the Brewers, a big bite of the Packers, and then at the end, for dessert, just a little bit of UWL as well. So we have a, n- a nice, well-rounded show here today on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for joining in. I hope you are making do with the weather. I hope you're staying safe. My mom actually called me today. She lives two hours north uh, in Men- in Menominee, Wisconsin, and I had walked to class. I'd been out and about today, uh, and I was texting with her earlier on in the day. She called me about three or four o'clock. She said, you better be wearing a hat. You better be wearing gloves. I said, mom, if I, if I wasn't, I wouldn't have years left. My fingers would have fallen off. It is that damn cold outside. So please stay warm. Please uh, stay safe uh, and enjoy the Wisco Sports Show. Drive slow. More time you're on the road. More time uh, that we can spend together. 608-796-2558. Please join in if you uh, feel so inclined on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Brewers on deck was this weekend. It is an awesome event. It's a cool event that gets fans hyped during a time of year where there doesn't seem to be a lot to get hyped about, if we're being honest, right? It's freezing cold. Packers season is over. We still have a ways until Brewers season starts. I know pitchers and catchers report is just weeks away and and we can keep our eye on spring training. Maybe you're even lucky enough to fly down to Maryville and to attend some spring training baseball. And if that's the case, lucky you and enjoy it. But we still do have a couple of months till Brewers baseball And this on deck event, especially during an off season like this is such a fantastic way, not only for the Brewers to make money. Don't get me wrong, but to get your fan base excited. To get them thinking about baseball. So come opening day. Fans are going to be ready to tailgate. They're going to be ready to pack Miller Park. And be loud. And get excited for another 162 games. And hopefully more. Of Brewers baseball. There were a couple of storylines. To come out of. Brewers on deck. About specific players. Or about you know, coaching staff, what have you. One of the biggest things, and I, I specifically read about it on the athletic. This is Robert Murray who is reporting this uh for the Athletic Wisconsin about Brewers on deck. Uh, Ryan Braun making a little bit of a tweak to his uh his swing. And it's interesting. I saw this headline. I saw this uh this little noteworthy item about Ryan Braun's swing and I'm like, well Ryan Braun's been in the league how long? And as far as I can remember, when I was little, I used to try to, uh, I used to try to mimic batting stances of players, right? I would go out in the driveway and I would, you know, obviously pretend to be a major league baseball player. What else would I be doing at 10 years old, right? And I would be swinging the bat and I would see if I could mimic batting stances. You know, you get the Ricky Weeks, you know, back in the day where he was pumping it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, or the Craig Council where you're sticking it straight up in the air. You know, I used to try to try to mimic some batting stances, right? Pretend I was a major league. Ryan Braun's swing has not changed, Right. Couple of couple of warm-up, you know, swings with the arms and then puts it up above the head, a little bit of a wave. That front that front foot is always uh ready to lift off the ground. It's placed very lightly, almost on his toe. It's a very fluid swing, and it hasn't really changed over his time in Major League Baseball. Uh all of it spent with the Brewers. And my first thought was if there's one issue that Ryan Braun has, it's staying healthy and staying on the field, his swing has always been good. There's always been power, he's always been able to make contact. And he's always been able to cover that far side of the plate, which is what makes him so dangerous. You can't pitch him outside because he uses that long bat, uses those long arms, that big wingspan, and he'll put it in the opposite field, even with power if he wants to. Ryan Braun has always had a clean swing. But it was interesting because when I dug into the details and I actually started to think about it, it makes sense after this year. And this is what I'm talking about. You remember, Ryan Braun talked about all the time, uh, especially early, or, excuse me, late in the year, Ryan Braun was just getting unlucky. He was hitting the hell out of the baseball. High velocity, exit velocity. No, that's the big thing now. How fast is the ball coming off the bat? He was hitting hard line drives. He was smacking the ball, whether it was back up the middle or straight at infielders or straight at outfielders You didn't have to move. Like, Ryan Braun was hitting the ball hard, which is what you want to see. Problem was, it seemed to always be going to someone. And it sounds like now he's actually being proactive, uh, trying to prevent that and, and taking luck out of the equation a little bit. It sounds like he wants to turn into, turn some of those line drives into home runs. Just get him up improve that launch angle just a little bit, which has become another one of those hot-button terms as baseball continues to evolve. Uh, after reviewing, this is what Braun said, he, he after looking at the numbers and analytics of which in baseball there are so many, he says he's just tweaking, he actually hired a new hitting coach to help improve his launch angle. He wants to get the baseball up. And he says that, this is the quote from the article and from the interview at, at Brewers on Deck, which I think is hilarious. He said the the changes that he made are minimal, and Braun says, quote, people who really understand baseball, quote, will notice. They'll be, they're the only ones who will notice. So I guess maybe we won't even notice. It's something very deep, very slim, and very uh, minuscule in the mechanics of Ryan Braun's swing that he's trying to tweak and trying to adjust in order to lift the baseball up. The power will still be there. It's not. He doesn't need to hit the ball harder. He needs to hit the, hit the ball smarter. He needs to get it up just a little bit higher. So sometimes, last year when you would see him line out right to an infielder, or hit one of those frozen rope, as people like to say, shots right at an outfielder who then didn't have to move and caught it in his tracks. You lift that ball up a little higher and you maintain that launch or that launch velocity or that exit velocity, a couple of those balls are gonna get out of the ballpark. And what I'm sure Ryan Braun would love to see is is turn I don't remember how many home runs Ryan Braun had last year, but turn a twenty-four or twenty-five home run season into twenty-eight or twenty-nine. That can make a big difference. And I know in the grand scheme of 162 games of a regular season and months of a summer Four home runs isn't a huge deal, but now when you get into those meaningful games in October and in the playoffs, one-line drive in game two of the NLCS that is just lifted a couple degrees higher and makes it over the wall instead of being an out and allowed out and unlucky out, that can turn a game and in turn turn a series. It can really change the course of a season. Now, I know the difference between 25 and 29 home runs, the example I used, isn't huge when you look at the broad scope, right? When you look at the whole season, uh, when the season is wrapped up and you look back, all right, 29 home runs, that's not that different from 25 or 26. It's about where those home runs happened in late last season. Ryan Braun in October, in the postseason and late in the season, he was just seeming to get unlucky. It seems like he wants to take some of that luck out of the equation. So on one hand, we have managers, I think, who are taking analytics to too high of a level, right? We at, at Some managers, specifically Craig Council, is taking the bunt right out of baseball. Taking the bunt out, They have adjusted, including using the shift to uh, almost an obnoxious amount because of analytics. Because of all the numbers that we have available to us and all of these bright, brilliant minds who are much smarter than I am compiling all this data and putting together these trends for managers and general managers and hitting and pitching coaches to implement. It seems like analytics have sometimes taken over baseball too much, but I think in this case, with Ryan Braun just tweaking his swing with the goal of lifting the baseball just a couple of degrees more, you start to take luck out of the equation. Instead of, well, just make contact with the ball, hit it hard, and it goes where it goes, whether it's at an infielder or into the seats. Well, if you hit the ball just a little bit higher, it comes off the bat at just a little bit different of an angle. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking a couple of more home runs, not a couple of loud outs, and that can really change the course of a playoff series, of a game meaningful late in October. It's, it's, it's a small difference. When you're one game away from the World Series, these are the kind of changes. These are the kind of tweaks that you look for players to make to just put you over that hump. And I think it's a good trend, and I hope we see more of this from players like Ryan Braun late in their careers who just start to tweak a thing here or there to make themselves just that much better and evolve with the game just that much more. It's interesting. Is one of the news and, and uh, noteworthy items to come out of Brewers on Deck this previous weekend. I do want to continue talking about the Brewers offseason buzz. We do have to take a quick break, and I do want to get your thoughts and your opinions on the five-star telecom talk and text line. We are getting closer to the Brewers spring training and eventually to the regular season. We do have about a month or two to go, and I think it's a brilliant, or a, more than a month, obviously, a couple of months to go here, and I think it's a brilliant move by the Brewers to have this on-deck event in the middle of a month where there's not a whole lot going on and get fans excited, get fans talking about this, which is what we're doing right now. There's a lot of excitement, but there's also a couple of question marks. I want to talk about some of those positions and players to be excited about, as well as some things that might worry us with this upcoming Brewers 2019 team. So we're going to continue to keep this hype from Brewers on deck rolling. I want to have some conversation 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line wide open. I want to hear from you coming up next. Brewers excitement in 2019. Rolls on on the Wisco Sports Show next on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good night. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom Talk a text line. And it is all yours. Talking Brewers Excitement upcoming 2019 season, and we just kind of wrapped up, uh, recapping a couple of things from Brewers on Deck, went down this previous weekend, and it's interesting, because there's a month that is not a whole lot going on, now obviously you you would love for the Packers to be playing right now, but more often than not, Packers season will have wrapped up by now, even in some of their best years, the NFC Championship years, or the Super Bowl, their season is darn close to over, and the Packers, let's face it, they made it in 2010, but since then, have not been back to the Super Bowl. Packers' season is typically over by now, the first week of February, or the last week of January, however you want to shake it. And the Brewers, I think, have, do- have done this brilliant job of inciting excitement in their fan base and getting them riled up this week where there's not a whole lot going on, and that went down in Milwaukee. One of the biggest notes is Ryan Braun's going to tweak his swing because he got unlucky, in his words, a lot last year, especially late in the year, just hitting hard line drive outs to infielders or to outfielders. And... Sometimes, as a baseball fan, or I'm sure Ryan Braun and Craig Council said the same thing, what can you do? You hit the ball hard, you put it in play, and it goes immediately to a glove of a fielder. Like A little bit of that is luck, true. And you might ask, what can you do? Well, Ryan Braun is trying to take luck out of the equation. He's just tweaking his swing just a little bit, trying to improve the launch angle of the baseball to turn some of those line drive outs into home runs. Just one of the newsworthy items out of Brewers on deck. And as this fan base gets more excited as spring training crawls closer, and pitchers and catchers report are coming up here in about two weeks now. There's some things to be really excited for, and there's some things to almost worry about with this Brewers team, and and that's what makes it fun, right? That's what sports is fun, is not everything is certain. Not everything is crystal clear. There's speculation, there's doubt, and that's why we have excitement on the flip side. Now, the Brewers are in a much-improved division. Now, the Reds as bad as they were last year, seemed to hung in seemed to hang in there uh, with great competition. The Cubs are great, but now the Reds have improved, and it looks like they might be in the works for J. T. Rio Muto, which would just cap a tremendous offseason for the Cincinnati Reds. Zay Lewis Cardinals added Paul Goldschmidt and improved their bullpen with Andrew Miller. The Brewers are going to have to be just as good as last year, if not better if they want to get back to the postseason, especially by means of winning the division. And there's excitement to see what happens with this Brewers team. I think some of the most exciting pieces about this team. I was thinking about this throughout today uh, and throughout tonight right up into the show. And if you uh, have excitement about this Brewers team, about a position group, a player, a coach, what have you, 608-796-2558. By the way, uh, I know we got Brewers fans on Twitter as well. Tweet at me at WKTY or at KeystrokerGrant, which is my personal Twitter account. Couple of the most exciting things on this Brewers upcoming team, the 2019 Brewers team. Number one for me, I'm excited about this pitching staff. And it's funny because when you ask people about the Brewers, oh, who do they need to add? Who do they need to trade for? What do they need out of their minor league? It's always starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. If you don't have an ace, that's always gonna be what fans are looking for. I'm actually really excited about this starting rotation because I think last year you saw, whether it was a flash in the pan or not, you saw success from Yoli Shasin and Wade Miley. I got this feeling, I got this inkling that Wade Miley is on a collision course back with the Milwaukee Brewers for one more year. But even if Wade Miley doesn't return, you like what you saw last year from Yoli Shasin. Heck, even Brent Suter, when he was healthy, gave you some good play. Zach Davies was hurt most of the year. You got to figure he's going to give you something coming back. Jimmy Nelson is coming back, something you didn't have last year. And now you have a couple of wild cards at the bottom end of that rotation. And I say bottom because they would be newcomers to the starting rotation. Not because they're better or worse but because they are new. You have Brandon Woodruff who performed and pitched some excellent innings for the Brewers late in the season and into the postseason. Corbin Burns, a a dude who, let's face it, had one bad outing, one, in game two of the NLCS against the Dodgers. That was his only bad outing all year. Now, don't get me wrong, that outing may have very well cost the Brewers that game and cost them a trip to the World Series. You can break down individual innings and individual performances by players, but that was his one bad outing. He was electric, and he's got four pitches, all of which he handles and controls very well. Corbin Burns is a young star that has been coming up through the minor league system, and I think now it's time we might see him make that move to the starting rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him in the bullpen, to be honest, because I think Craig Council values his relievers. But I think more often, or more likely than not, we're going to see him shift to the starting rotation. And then Freddie Peralta as well. You have this this triple-headed monster of young, talented pitchers, who have spent time in the bullpen, but also flirted in the starting rotation. Peralta and Woodruff have both spent time as starters. Burns has not, but you really like his upside and what he could add to the rotation. So how does Craig Council and David Stearns both manage this pitching staff? What is it going to shake out as? Because your opening day starter could very well be Yoli Shasin, but a month or two months later, if Yoli Shasin is your number one starter, I, I think it's kind of a disappointment, because that means Corbin Burns hasn't come onto the scene probably as quickly as you may have hoped. That means Jimmy Nelson is no longer the pitcher that he was, at least a month into the season. Zach Davies hasn't returned, because I think your hope is Yoli seen goes from your number one pitcher, as he was last year, down the rotation a little bit because everybody else improves. couple of players improve, like Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, gives you a little more consistency, cuts down on the walks. And Corbin Burns is now into the mix as a rotation. He's a fish that's being added to the pond. So you hope those guys are able to, if not push Yoli Shasin to the best pitching of his career, overtake him for a number one or a number two spot. And now you like your depth in the rotation as Chasine slides down. Who knows what Jimmy Nelson's going to give you as he comes back. He was excellent two years ago, but he hasn't pitched competitive baseball in a while. Not in the major leagues, at least. And you like what Zach Davies hopefully can give you coming back off that injury. There's a lot to be excited about. There's also... Some stuff to worry about in the starting rotation, but that's why it's exciting, right? We don't know if Matt Lafleur is going to be a great coach. Nobody knows, but we're excited to find out because we have hope, right? That's what makes sports fun, and I think it's very similar with this upcoming Brewers starting rotation. Another position, specifically a player that I'm really excited about is Orlando Arcia. Not because I think he's going to be an All Star or or put up you know ridiculous numbers. I want to see what he does. I just want to see. <laughs> I'm just curious. Because Orlando Arcia was essentially a free out in that batting rotation at the bottom of that lineup all season last year until he completely turned it on at the end of the year. I was watching game 163 highlights. Orlando Arcia had four hits. Four in that game. Now, I can't imagine that is the new normal for Orlando Arcia, who's always struggled a little bit to hit the bat, but you saw flashes at the end of the year. A little bit more picky with his pitches. A little bit more calm. Focus on putting the ball into play. He's probably never going to be a big home run hitter. Although we saw some pop at the end of the last season. But what is he truly going to be? Because I think this is almost a groundhog day. This upcoming season for Orlando Arcea. Because he needs to be more consistent. He can't be hot and cold. You cannot have a guy who hits 190 for a month. And then hits 400 the next month. You just can't absorb that. That's why Keon Broxton has struggled to stay in the majors. I want to see what Orlando Arcea does. I'm excited to see what Orlando Arcea does. Those are my two biggest areas of excitement. The starting rotation, because they're just getting an injection of all of these new arms that weren't in the rotation for whatever reason last year. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see what Orlando Arcea does, assumedly is the day one starting shortstop of this Brewers team. It's his job to lose, in my opinion. Who's going to take it? Spangenberg? Saladino? I don't think so. Aaron Perez? I don't think so. It's his job to lose, and I hope we see a breakout season from Orlando Arcia, and he continues that hot tear that he wrapped up the season with last year. That's my hope. That's my excitement. It might not turn out that way. My biggest worries for this Brewers team, and it's almost becoming more worrisome, is the second base position. Now, I think a month or two ago, the Keston here hype train was piping hot. He was on the cover of magazines. He was being called the best homegrown prospect the Brewers have had since Ryan Braun. You don't just throw praise around on a minor leaguer like that. But it seems like we are not going to see the likes of Mauricio Dubon and Keston Hira in the major leagues, at least not early on this season. Maybe late, but it seems like Greg Council and David Stearns do not want to call those guys up as early as probably fans would like to see. So what do the, the Brewers do at second base? Assuming Orlando RC is your day one starter at shortstop, and it is his job to lose, like I believe that it is, Spangenberg, Saladino, Hernan Perez. Now, if you bring Mike Mustagas back... Maybe you slide Travis Shaw back over to second base, but there, there's a lot of question marks there. And I don't really know. I don't love any of those options. I love Aaron Perez as a role player. As a guy who can, he's a Swiss Army knife, right? That's that's his calling card. Well, I don't want to use a Swiss Army knife as my my number one knife, right? If, if I'm in a kitchen and you say, all right, Grant, you need to cut up a steak. I don't want a Swiss Army knife. I want a knife. And right now, the Brewers need a second baseman. They don't want a Swiss Army knife. They don't want a utility player. They want a second baseman. I want a second baseman. So I do worry about that position. Orla- or not Orlando Arcia. Jesus Aguilar is the other worry that I have. And, and maybe this is me being pessimistic instead of optimistic. And-, and if that's the case, go ahead and call me on it. I'm worried that Jesus Aguilar is not even going to come close to his output last year. And I'm not. it's not because I don't like him. I love Jesus. Jesus. He is the epitome of what you want in a first baseman to do do hits with a lot of power to all fields, but doesn't do so with a lot of strikeouts. Jesus Aguilar put the ball in play. He was a great two-strike hitter. He knows when to shorten up his stroke and just try to put the ball into play, and we saw that a lot last year. That's why I like Jesus Aguilar. I'm not a hater. I don't know if he can hit as well as he did for the Brewers last year, and let's be honest. He was a big reason why the Brewers won as many games as they did throughout the, the months of... May and June. He cooled off a little bit towards the end of the season, but I mean, he was hot enough to get into the home run derby, be an all-star. I don't know if Jesus Aguilar's I don't know if that's the new normal with Aguilar, or if that was just a flash in the pan last year, but that's also why it's exciting and worrying at the same time. You know what I mean? The division worries me as well. I don't think the Cubs, and the Cubs won 90 plus games last year. They were no slouch, but they weren't playing their best baseball at the end of the year. That worries me. The Reds are much improved, as are the Cardinals. Those are all worries I have about the Brewers team. And this is no doubt a conversation that we're going to have as we speculate wildly and get excited wildly about this Brewers team going into the 2019 season, as we should. They're one game away from the World Series. That doesn't just die off. That excitement doesn't just fade into nothingness. It's not how sports work. 608-796-2558, if you want to join in the conversation, go ahead. The five-star telecom talk and text line is open. When we come back, I want to play not armchair quarterback, but armchair GM. I want to transition To the Packers. They have a lot of free agents to be coming up. And it's all quiet on that front. Nobody was extended during the season. Rather some were actually traded. Haha Clinton Dix. Great example. What are the Brewers going to do with their own free agents to be. Come free agency in about a month here or so. I want to talk about it. Get your thoughts and get your opinions as well. Coming up next. Here on the Wisco Sports Show. Keep listening right here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Also streaming at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard and hanging out. Hope you're having a good evening. We wrapped up some killer brewers talk. Do not forget, I never want you to forget that you can always go to WKTYsports.com and listen to this show back in podcast form. Just click on the podcast tab, Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. It's super easy to find even for somebody like me who's not super techie. And you can jump around. If you missed one segment, you don't need to listen to me rehash what you've already heard. Just pick and choose what you want to hear or what you missed. Super easy in a super good way. uh, An easy way to enjoy the Wisco Sports Show. If you can't catch it one day, but you want to fill yourself in, it's the best way to do it. 608-796-2558 is the best way to reach me and the program on the 5 Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. (laughs) People love to play armchair quarterback. Uh, People... Even more so, myself included, love to play armchair GM. Who would you draft? Who would you trade for? Who would you keep in free agency? Who would you let walk or who would you sign? All decisions that Packers fans, especially, I don't know about other fan bases, love to talk about. How would you fix the team? As if it's simple and easy, right? None of us are general managers. But it is interesting. Over the end of Ted Thompson's tenure, I would say the last three or four years, The rallying cries supporting free agency got louder and louder and louder. People said, why don't you sign free agents? You never even think about it. You never even talk about it. And it's fair, right? Even if you don't want to sign a lot of free agents, you should be in on the conversation because sometimes you don't know what you're missing out on. Maybe a player wants to come play in Green Bay, or maybe he's willing to take a pay cut to come play for a coach you have or to play alongside a player you have. You just never know if you don't pick up the phone. That was my beef with Ted Thompson. And the response always was, the Packers do sign free agents. They re-sign their own. And that is awesome. That is great when you're drafting good players. I mean, you think back to 2015, they re-signed Mike Daniels. David Bakhtiari was re-signed in 2016. Uh, Three players, I believe, last year, Devontae Adams, Lane Taylor, uh, and there was a third. uh, Corey Lindsley all re-signed last year. I mean, they re-signed their own. That's what the Packers have been doing for years and years and years. Well, now that Brian Gutekinds is at the controls, maybe it's a change in style or... Maybe Gutekinds is just looking at this roster and the free agents to be and say, there's nobody good enough to re-sign. There's nobody good enough to warrant me backing up the Brinks truck and dumping cash at their feet to stay in Green Bay. That could be a change in personality and a change in uh, management style for Ryan Gutekinds, or maybe he just doesn't think highly of these players at all, or maybe it's a little bit of both. That being said, it's been the first time in a while that the Packers have not, in season or slightly after the season, extended or re-signed one of their own free agents. Devontae Adams is the big one last year. Now, they did with Aaron Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. That was before the season. But now it's all been quiet, and they do have a lot of free agents to come. I was on Twitter the other day, and, and there's this article circulating with ESPN, uh, specifically written by Rob Domovsky, specifically breaking down all the free agents to be restricted or unrestricted. And, and I saw someone quote it. I don't remember who. I wish I did. Uh, Quote tweeted it and said, well, one good thing about dra- horrible draft classes, if you don't have to to pay them as free agents later, and I guess that's one way to look at it, is you don't need to be sinking free agent money into players, but then again, you're missing out on good players. You can't overspend in free agency if you don't have a good option to overspend in free agency, and it appears right now that the Packers do not. There is a strong possibility and, and a growing narrative that the Packers might not re-sign a single one of these dudes. Well, let's let's get into it a little bit. On the offensive side of the ball, they have a couple of unrestricted free agents. Now, Randall Cobb is the biggest, obviously, and we've heard Rodgers, at times, we assume kind of plea and kind of make the case that Randall Cobb should be retained. They're a better team with Randall Cobb on the field, and I agree, I just don't know at what price. And last year, you saw Randall Cobb, whether it's his fault or not. I'm not hating on a player for getting injured, but it it is a trend near the end of players' careers that maybe they become more injury-prone and you hate to sign a fresh contract for a free agent who is aging only to miss more games every year, so on and so forth, right? So Randall Cobb, I don't know it. It seems as though he's played his last game for the green and gold. Then you you go down the list. Lance Kendricks is set to be a free agent. That's a little bit lower priority, I think, for Packers fans, especially compared to Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis. You have two of your three tight ends from last year, two of your four, I guess, if you count Robert Tanyan, who are set to hit free agency. I would love I would love for them to resign Mercedes Lewis. I've never bought the hype with Lance Kendricks. He doesn't do any one thing particularly well. He, he was not a good pass catcher. And I don't think he was a great blocker. I thought Mercedes Lewis was much better. So if you're sacrificing in the passing game, which you definitely were with Lance Kendricks out there, you might as well throw out Mercedes Lewis, who isn't a tremendous receiving wideout, but he can at least catch the ball and be an, an incredible blocker at the same time. I would love for them to bring Mercedes Lewis back. The The final one is, is of course, Byron Bell. Uh, and, and he played a lot in rotation in relief. I don't know what the Packers will do with Byron Bell. It's nice to have a veteran player like that who you can plug and play at maybe a couple positions when players get injured. But if Byron Bell is starting, you are not where you want to be. Let's just say your offensive line is not in the ideal situation. They do have one restricted free agent on the offensive side of the ball, and that's Geronimo Allison. And it, and it's too bad for Geronimo Allison because I, I thought he was poised for a breakout year, and the first couple games would, would indicate so, right? Him and Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, just seemed to click. And in a year that was all about chemistry and, towards the end, lack of chemistry and being on the same with the same page with the wide receivers, Geronimo Allison is a really good compliment to Aaron Rodgers. Unfortunately, he missed a lot of this season with injury, and maybe that's better for the Packers, because the only way that Geronimo Allison leaves is if another team offers him and the Packers don't match, much like the Packers tried to do with Kyle Fuller last year, and that looked like a smarter and smarter move for the Packers and the Bears, both the Packers trying to prime away from Chicago and the Bears retaining him. So we'll see what kind of demand there is for Geronimo Allison. I think Geronimo's value is higher in Green Bay, given that his utility and his success is often because of chemistry with Aaron Rodgers and is often because he is on the same page and Aaron Rodgers trusts Geronimo Allison. I think that's where his value is and I think Geronimo Allison hopefully realizes that and isn't too quick to try to jump out of Green Bay like we have seen with previous wide receivers. Remember Jared Boykin? We all thought he was going to be great and then it just never really panned out. I think some players only have utility in Green Bay with a specific quarterback or with any specific quarterback, right? It doesn't have to be Green Bay. It doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. Those are your offensive free agents. I don't know if I love any of them. I think you could find a better player at a better price tag if you want a reliable slot receiver than Randall Cobb it it really depends on what type of offense LaFleur tries to install. Hopefully, LaFleur tries to install a, a more replicable offense down in and down out that doesn't rely on making things up as you go and and being on the same page as your wide receiver and it's more about just running consistent routes and being in the right place at the right time. And if that's the case, Randall Cobb, you can replace him with a whole a whole lot of slot wide receivers because they're not particularly expensive Randall Cobb might be. I don't know what kind of demand there's going to be for Randall Cobb. I'm sure the Packers will look into that, and and maybe if there is no demand, they'll bring him back on a cheap deal. I don't know. Let's look at defense. They do have some restricted free agents on defense, and they all have really interesting situations. Of course, you have Clay Matthews, who has regressed in terms of an outside pass rusher. I still think as an inside linebacker, he could be a force for the last couple of years of his career. But he can't get around the edge as fast as he could. He is a little bit injury-prone, and that'll happen as players' age. I just think because of the name... Because of the player that Clay Matthews has been in the past, some team with a lot more cap space is w- is going to be willing to give him a lot more money. I think Clay Matthews, even more so than Randall Cobb, has played his last snap as a Green Bay Packer. After Randall Cobb, or not Randall Cobb, after after Clay Matthews, it gets interesting. You have a couple of dudes all with different situations. Muhammad Wilkerson, who came on a one-year prove-it deal after an injury to try to get that next contract. And then he got hurt again. Well... I don't think there's anything stopping the Packers and specifically Mike Pettin from trying to give him the same pitch. Come back, play a year on this team for Mike Pettin, a coordinator you trust and like. We'll give you a one-year deal and then you can go chase another contract elsewhere. Just run it back. I can see the Packers doing that. Jake Ryan, I I, I don't really know. I don't know what kind of system Pettin, I mean, I think things are going to change, continue to evolve as his personnel changes and he has more control over how his side of the defense, specifically the personnel, is handled. I don't know if there'll be a whole lot of interest for Jake Ryan, especially coming off the ACL tear. I, I don't know. Jake Ryan is interesting. Bashad Breland, interesting. Another situation, a different situation. I think he might be the guy that the Packers focus most on re signing, especially you worry about Kevin King's health. When everybody's healthy in that secondary, there might not be space for a guy like Bashad Breland, especially because he's probably going to need a little bit of money. Not a lot, not superstar money, but a little bit. You like Jair Alexander. You like Kevin King, you like Tremont Williams and the veteran presence that he gives you as these younger corners try to come of age, and hopefully Josh Jackson comes along as well. The problem is outside of that, assuming none of those guys get get injured, you're fine. But as soon as one guy goes down, now all of a sudden, who do you have in the reserves? Who do you have on the back burner? And I think Pashad Breland would be a nice rotational piece, not only to come in in an instance of an injury, but I think he could very well compete with a guy like Kevin King for a starting job. It's King's job to lose, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he is carved in stone in this starting rotation at all. Devon House, I don't think the Packers are going to be interested. Ibrahim Campbell was an interesting player. I thought he looked good at times. Eddie Pleasant was another, another guy who made plays and then failed to make plays at other times. I think that group right there, Devon House, Ibrahim Campbell, and Eddie Pleasant are all in interesting situations. I don't know if the market is going to dictate money or demand for any of those guys. Kentrell Bryce is a restricted free agent, and he has been fine at times, but he's been inconsistent. I don't know. I don't know. They paid him $630,000 in 2018. And for that amount of money, he's fine. I just want them to soup up the safety position. And I don't think there's a whole lot of room for Kentrell Bryce. Once again, I said, if Byron Bell is one of your starting offensive linemen, you don't like your spot. Much like I think if... uh <laughs> Much like I think we were obviously just talking about the defense. Much like I think if Kentrell Bryce is your starting safety, you're in a bad spot. As a reserve, that's one thing. But as a starter, I don't necessarily like it at all. I can't imagine Packers fans do as well. We'll continue to talk about Packers free agency as the offseason rolls on and we start to crawl towards free agency and towards the draft. A couple of landmarks coming up in the NFL offseason. It looks like the Packers are going to retain Jimmy Graham... A lot of people wanting to see him cut. A lot of people expecting to see him cut. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to cut him, but it looks like they're going to bring him back. Which I think makes sense. He's not a free agent, but he is obviously a, a player who's going to have a large cap hit. Cap hit doesn't get much smaller if you cut him, which is why I think they should keep them around as it looks like they're going to. So that's the one update on Packers personnel so far. We're going to continue to play armchair GM all offseason long. I think it's so much fun. I can't play quarterback in the in the National Football League. like that, That's so far above me in my mind and my ability. I'd like to think, I would do a horrible job, but I'd like to think I could sit down and, and at least reason through personnel moves, right? As a, as listeners of WKTY and as a host here on the Wisco Sports Show, I, I think we can have a conversation about why they should or shouldn't bring back a player and how much money you would spend and would you trade for this one. When it comes to armchair quarterback, I mean, that's just, you're just getting mad at the TV. This is a little bit more nuanced, right? A little bit more, a little bit more civilized if you will. So we're going to continue to do that all offseason long. I do, I'm really excited. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and I'm excited to come back. We're going to talk about UWA Athletics. I got a text from Andrew yesterday saying, hey, make sure you you shout out the swim team. They had a huge win this weekend and they did against Stevens Point. Another player uh, for UWL Basketball who has slid under the radar in a huge way. He's been a walking bucket the last couple of games in the last couple of weeks. I want to talk about Brendan Manning. As UWL hung one on Whitewater and they squeaked out a conference win against uh, River Falls. They're on a two-game winning streak. And they're looking good. They're 7-1 and in Wyack play so far. And Brendan Manning is a big reason why. I caught up with Coach Dernbach earlier today. He shared a couple interesting tidbits and a, and a funny story or two about Brendan and his path to success on this team. I want to wrap up the Wisco Sports Show with that. Coming up next year on WKTY. segment of the Wisco Sports show here on WKTY. I'm your host Grant Bills. Bucks basketball getting underway immediately after the Wisco Sports show wraps up here in about 10 minutes. You can hear all that right here on WKTY. I don't want to talk Bucks basketball. I don't want to talk Badgers basketball. We've done enough of that this week. I want to talk a little UWL basketball. They're on a two-game winning streak following their one and only conference loss at the hands of UW Oshkosh. They're they're winning. They have won a lot of games and we've talked about that. They are 14 and 5. They're 7 and 1 in the conference. They have yet to lose at home and, and what's what's even better and we've talked about this with the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Yeah, their record speaks for itself. Yeah, their conference record speaks for itself. But past the wins, past the record, there's other factors at play. There's habits, there's tendencies, there's other statistics that start to stick out where you say, "Well, not only is this a good team, but they they might have uh they might have the makeup to keep it going in the postseason." This isn't just a regular season flash in the pan or an early conference season flash in the pan. There's a little bit more behind this. And much like the Bucks, they don't lose more than one game in a row. They don't let one win spiral into more, right? They lose at Oshkosh. They were in it right down to the, the wire. It's a game you'd obviously love to have, but then they react. They respond and they come back and they beat up on Whitewater and they beat up on River Falls. And a huge reason why they were able to not let that losing streak happen and get back and respond and win their last two, has been a player, Brennan Manning. And I don't know why. We talk about Ben Meinholz, we talk about Talvish McCray, and we talk about some of these freshmen who have found great playing time and great success in limited minutes. We don't talk about Manning a whole lot. He's a 6'3 guard from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He's a senior. He's not the flashiest player. He doesn't shoot threes. He doesn't take step-back jumpers. He plays in the paint. Plays around the restricted circle, and he does so with really good touch. Really good touch, and he's a blast to watch. And these last couple of games, he's been he has been, he's been a walking bucket. Their, their huge win against Whitewater, they hung 82 points on him. They won 82 to 63. They dominated in just about every way possible. Brennan Manning, listen to this stat line. He played 34 minutes, and in those 34 minutes, he went 10 of 11 from the field with 28 points. He added 8 rebounds, and he went 8 of 9 from the free throw line. And here's the funniest thing. His one missed bucket that he had, 10 of 11, it was a miss layup. I bet it was a shot that he makes 9 times out of 10. Efficient. I love that. Twenty-eight points, and he does all his work around the rim. He's 6'3", He doesn't. He's not sized as a four or as a five where he spends a lot of his time down in that restricted circle, down underneath the rim. And I, I, I started to wonder. I, I'm looking at this UWL team, and I, I like their tendencies. I like their habits. What I see, uh, not only on the court and wins and losses, but but bigger picture stuff as well. Like we've talked about with this team and the Milwaukee Bucks as well. I wanted to know a little bit more about Brendan Manning. I had an opportunity to sit down with Coach Dernbach earlier today, and I just wanted to talk about Manning just a little bit because he's been such a big piece of the Eagles' success, but yet he doesn't necessarily get the headlines and the conversation that some of his co-stars get on this team. They're off to a 14-5 start, 7-1, and one, and yet Brendan Manning doesn't really get talked about that a whole lot. So I sat down with Coach Dernbach today just for a couple of minutes, and we shared a little bit. The number one thing that he preaches about Brendan Manning and his success is is his versatility as a 6-3 player to defend 4s and 5s down in the paint. And that turns into a matchup problem, not only on defense for opposition, right? Now you have a 5 trying to score on a 6-3 Brendan Manning, who only weighs 190, and that becomes a problem. But then on the other end as well, because Manning is quicker... Right, he can jump higher than your typical big, lumbering center or maybe a heavy four, heavy power forward. And he talked about that versatility just a little bit and why it's so effective and dangerous for Manning. right
1: is someone that you know that got a few minutes as a freshman and as a sophomore, never worked himself really into the rotation for those two years. And when we when we came here last year, we weren't really sure um, he you know he he should be a three, right? He should be a wing player, two or three. Six foot three, and. It was really apparent in the first couple practices that the, his toughness that he had. And I said, well, I wonder, if can he guard down low? I mean, how good can he can he guard? And then we went to Milwaukee, and, and um, I'm not too prideful to say this. I'm, I said, okay, if I, if, get, our, get our starters out there before we go to Milwaukee, right, to play. I said, get our starters out. I haven't announced our starters prior to that, right, who's starting, the lineups are changing. Get our, get our five guys out there. And Tarek and Brendan and Ben and Tanner Brooks and Talvis McRae walked out onto the floor because you get a feel for the team who maybe your best five are, and those guys went out there and then Brendan guarded this guy Bryce Enzi who is like six foot seven, and he just battled his butt off uh, down at Milwaukee against him. Um, and since that point, like he he's our foreman. It's fascinating.
0: You don't see a lot of six, three, 4 guys unless they can shoot the lights out of the ball, right? Because most fours or fives, especially in, at the college level, you start to, you know, six six, six seven, six eights, nearing seven feet uh, at some schools. It just depends. You don't see a lot of six three big men. And in, in the way that he is able to defend down low then lends to some more freedom on offense on the other end because the opposition doesn't really know how to match up, right? You don't really deal with a four who's six three a lot. He has a little bit more speed, a little bit more quickness around the rim. That's how he creates his shot, that's how he gets his shots up with such great touch and such great feel around the rim, which leads to efficient stat lines like 10 of 11 from the field, right? And even more so important, and Coach Dernbach explained this at length as well, is not only Manning able to get his shots around the rim, because he might be a little bit quicker than the player who's guarding him, a little bit of a matchup problem for the opposition, but he is confident and he knows where his shots are going to come from. He knows his skill set. He doesn't feel the need to try to be flashy and play outside of it, and, and you might think, well, What a boring way to live as a basketball player. Not at all. Coach Sternbach explains uh, actually how rare that is in a player and how effective it has been for Manning here in the last couple of weeks. He's such a matchup
1: problem. He understands what his box is on the floor, meaning I'm going to score. I'm going to score where I feel most comfortable, where I know I can get a good shot every single time. And if I can't get to that spot, I'm going to pass it. And that's so simple but it's so difficult for guys to figure that out and then that or they're able to get to it on a consistent basis because he's now number one or number two on our scouting report right and and there was a little little lull that he probably had um this year when he reached that level on somebody's scouting report of like this is what brendan manning does you need to take this away well how do you react to that as a player right that's the next step going forward um you know, like Ethan Anderson right now, he can come in and can do some things offensively, but now the next step for Ethan would be like, okay, now he's on scouting reports, and you need to take away his three, and you need to take away his right hand, right? So then it's like, okay, now what is his what is his next step there, right? And that's just the, an example of the development, and then Brendan's been able to do. He understands how he can score on the floor, and and he consistently is able to do that and doesn't try to play outside of his box, right? And, uh you know, there's so many guys that are like, oh, I want to expand my game. I want to expand my game. Well, yeah, you can expand You can expand your game. Things that repeat themselves are good. That's fun, right? And Brendan Manning is able to find his spot on the floor and it repeats itself over and over and
0: over again. It's definitely something that's noteworthy because how many times in sports, specifically I see this in baseball with, with players who make their major league debut and they come onto the scene, nobody has tape, nobody has a scouting report, and you see them have great debuts. And then as soon as other teams get some film right they get a little bit of a scouting report and they figure out the game of this new player on the scene then they can scheme then they can game plan well then what does the player do what is that next step and what's funny is it sounds like and watching Brendan play he didn't really have a next step he didn't need one because he's so good at what he does he's so good at touchy shots around around the rim and those those mid-range jumpers and getting into the restricted circle and using his length to get his shots up the teams know it's coming and they still do it. Like, think of the Lombardi sweep or the Packers sweep in the 60s. Everybody knew where the ball was going. They were going to write right behind Jerry Kramer. That's where they were going, and teams still couldn't stop it. Now, it's it's kind of foolish and, and just maybe a little bit dumb to compare a, a senior 6'3 power forward, Brendan Manning, on the 2019 roster of UW Lacrosse basketball to a Packers team from the 60s, but it's the same principle, and it's really fun to watch. In a league and in a sport where the three-point shot is taken over, and everybody's got to be able to step back and have a finishing package and, and have great touch around the rim and all this. He he doesn't really need that. He plays his game. He plays within his box. And he's confident in his playmaking ability. If Brennan Manning goes up with a shot, you know it's a good look. Because he's not taking bad shots. He doesn't take bad shots. He doesn't make bad choices, as Coach Dernbach loves to say. Been a walking bucket the last couple of weeks. It's been fun to watch. We're going to have, hopefully, more UWL basketball coverage. They uh, were supposed to play Stevens Point tomorrow night. That game's going to be rescheduled. So as soon as we know for sure when that's going down and what coverage we're going to be providing, we'll pass that news along as well because this team is a whole lot of fun. 14-5, and 7-1 and one in conference play. They still haven't lost at home, and they're hosting Stevens Point coming up here uh, to be rescheduled in the next week or so. Good show today. Good show. We covered a lot. It wasn't the old country buffet approach that we had yesterday. A little bit of everything. We had a little bit more. A lot of Brewers, a lot of Packers. And a little bit of UWL talk for dessert as well. Same time, same place. Tomorrow, we're going to continue it all here on the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you then.